This Week in HPC by Intersect 360 Research. NERSC's Perlmutter says, hello world. Does HPC point to COVID lab leak? It's This Week in HPC. Hi, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of This Week in HPC with Intersect 360 Research, distributed in partnership with HPC Wire. I'm Addison Snell with Intersect 360 Research, joined this week by Tiffany Trader and Oliver Peckham, both from HPC Wire. And this week in HPC, we're going to start with one of our new Department of Energy supercomputers turning on officially and saying hello world with Perlmutter at NERSC. Berkeley Labs National Energy Research Scientific Computing Center, NERSC, held their virtual dedication ceremony for Perlmutter, a.k.a. NERSC 9, uh, the first phase of which has been deployed at Berkeley Labs' Shai Wang Hall. The system um, is made by HPE. It is a heterogeneous CPU-GPU system with just over 6,100 NVIDIA A100 GPUs and about 1,500 AMD Epic Milan CPUs. Um, The main nodes have four GPUs and one CPU on them. And then these are all housed in 12 Cray EX cabinets uh, with slingshot interconnect and direct liquid cooling. And they they put on a big uh, virtual dedication ceremony and they had a a lot of uh, notable people there to announce the system and... um, and tell us uh, about the interesting science that's going to be done on it. Yeah, one of the things I really liked in your coverage, Tiffany, on HPC Wire is that right off the bat, we started talking about the applications for this supercomputer and why we need so much computational power for this uh, in particular. Uh, One of the big early workloads for the Perlmutter supercomputer is going to be looking at dark energy, particularly through the dark energy spectroscopic instrument, or DESI, which is looking at dark energy through its effect with the visible universe and a big reason we need a lot of computational power in a big supercomputer is that they're going through sort of a daily cycle where they've got to crunch the previous night's numbers to figure out where we're going to aim the next day and there's a certain amount of computation we have to get through on a daily or or nightly basis and it really speaks to uh, where they're deploying a lot of this computational power. Yeah and this is a notable early uh, workload because of the with the focus on the universe and dark matter because the system of course is the namesake of Saul Perlmutter an astrophysicist at Berkeley lab who shared the 2011 Nobel Prize in physics for his contributions um, showing that the expansion of the universe is accelerating so it was really fitting that this is one of the initial use cases for the system um, to to be part of this DESI project. And Tiffany, you were talking about they had a big event with a lot of noteworthy people there, and I'll list those in a second, but one of those was Saul Perlmutter himself, who got to kind of launch the Hello World, Hello Perlmutter, uh, and and dedicated. Oliver, you were pointing out that, that there's something pretty rare about that. Yeah, I think that would make him one of the only, if not the only, to my knowledge, uh, living people to have a a supercomputer named after them, let alone attend the inauguration and uh, launch workloads. I think that's that's pretty exceptional and must be uh, pretty humbling. 
Yeah, I hadn't thought of that until you mentioned it. I couldn't think of a counterexample either. There must be other high-performance computers named after people who are currently living, but uh, this would certainly be the most notable to uh, to my way of thinking. And uh, we'll quickly list, uh, although there are a lot of names here, it was a great event, uh, the great virtual event that NERSC had, in addition to Saul Perlmutter, the, the, uh, the namesake for the machine, the Berkeley Lab Director Mike Witherell, uh, DOE Deputy Secretary David Turk, um, the Associate Laboratory Director for Computing Sciences at Berkeley, who's Jonathan Carter, Barb Helland, who's the Associate Director of the DOE Office of Science, uh, Advanced Scientific Computing Research, or ASCR program. Carol Christ, who's the UC Berkeley uh, Chancellor, Nurse Deputy Director of Research, Horst Simon. Uh, Ruby Leung, who's the Chief Scientist of Energy Exascale uh, Earth System Model. Uh, Berkeley Lab Professor, si uh, Senior Advisor, and former NERSC Director, Kathy Yellick. Irene Qualters is the Associate Laboratory Director for Simulation and Computation at Los Alamos. Director of NERSC, Sudeep Dosanjh, uh, Thomas Miller from Caltech, and the CEOs of NVIDIA and HPE, Jensen Wong, and HPE CEO, Antonio Neri, all attended uh, this event. So uh, certainly a who's who list getting to, to kick off this system. Uh, Tiffany, you were starting to, to name some of the uh, impressive stats around the computer. This is getting billed as the world's fastest AI supercomputer. We can talk a little bit about what that means. They're claiming 3.8 exaflops of theoretical AI performance. But if we look at it from a, a a, a traditional HPC perspective of peak double precision performance. There's about 60 petaflops of that uh, FP64. You've done a lot of work to kind of slice and dice what that all means because it's getting less and less easy to compare flops. Yeah, so there's all these different numerical formats emerging now, especially from from N NVIDIA and with some of the, the AI uh, startups as well. So I think this is just worth running running through because there's all these different numbers so let's try to make some sense of them you you mentioned some of them already that there's the the 3.8 exaflops of, of peak ai performance that uses nvidia's half precision cores uh, with their uh, tensor cores with the sparsity feature enabled and then a 60 petaflops peak double precision that's the standard hpc of course uh, they're they're talking about having around 100 petaflops or 120 even that would be the this new numerical format from uh, NVIDIA that's come on board with the A100 Ampere GPU. That's the GPU in this system. Um, that is tensor, uh, tensor FP64 performance, which is double what you would get from these standards. So instead of 60, now it's potential, potentially unlocking double that. So 120 petaflops. Um, and the the trick, of course, is getting the app, getting the codes to be able to take advantage of that. And they say, indeed, that is. Uh, what they're doing. So they say some of the target apps will be able, able to leverage that format uh, in these, and I list these in my article, but it in, includes Quantum Espresso, Berkeley GW, and NW Chem uh, can, can um, leverage that. Um, and then some, some people may be thinking, well, what, you have all these different numbers, you know, what could we, what, what could we, um, how could we, what would, what could we expect from the LIMPAC? Well, that depends if the LIMPAC will be able to take advantage of the the new the FP64 tensor cores when they run it up to this point. LIMPAC, the LIMPAC runs NVIDIA has done 
uh, with its A A100 system, Selene haven't taken advantage of, but but they're still able to get high impact scores, um, higher actually than their marketing peaks. Yes, I know that's strange, but it, it is the case. Um, so even though Perlmutter is specced at 60 petaflops for its FP64 like marketing standard peak, um, I expect we'll see a higher impact score than that. Uh, and, and if we just do doing some quick extrapolation from Celine, um, we might, you know, it suggests we might see something around around 85 uh, petaflops. A simpler data point is to say that Celine has about 4,500 GPUs. It's it's a uh, uh, 4,480 A100 GPUs and is number five on the top 500 right now. And then the system Perlmutter has more than uh, 61. 100 a a one you know G same GPUs so you, you might expect it to to do uh, a little bit uh, above where we see Celine now of course we'll have a new iteration of the list and there'll be some shuffling but you see you um, relatively uh, that would be uh, where, what would what we might expect now they're not even uh, resting on their laurels here so Perlmutter is NERSC nine and Tiffany they're already talking about NERSC ten and NERSC eleven potentially uh, looking at some paradigm shifts there isn't that right. Yeah, that is that is right. Um, yep, there's uh, there's also um, we should mention a, a second phase of Perlmutter as well uh, to, to plan for later this year. That's phase two, and that will add uh, twelve. So there's already twelve like GPU accelerated cabinets. This is going to add another twelve cabinets, but these will just be CPU cabinets uh, with with more than three thousand nodes. And those will be just straight uh, AMD Milan CPU nodes instead of the accelerated one. So, um, and then some other some other login and, and memory nodes too. But yeah, you mentioned the nurse uh, look planning ahead. They say planning ahead as as always the case. You know these long long planning cycles. So yes, uh, indeed, nurse 10 and nurse 11 are both in the works. Um, the nurse director Sudeep Dosanjh said, you know, as as we all know, this take years. The systems take years and years uh, to, to design and deploy, and he's saying that it's it's pretty clear we'll have um, expect to have more heterogeneous systems entering the post Moore's law era. Uh, looking at different, they're looking at different types of accelerators. Uh, he's and then he said uh, that he doesn't think it's likely NERSC 10 will have a quantum accelerator, but that quote NERSC 11 certainly might. And he he said half of the codes that NERSC solve a run solve some kind of quantum mechanical problem and he expects that that um that kind of a quantum accelerator would be helpful for that and then also um looking at nurse 10 doing even more with with ai so not just um augmenting uh, an experiment data analysis and simulation but then also um using it to help manage the system as well to increase the reliability and the, and the energy energy uh system so those were some some forward-looking clues there. This, of course, was part of a big sweep of DOE systems, one by Cray, now part of HPE. And before we move off of that and all the computation entirely, I, I do want to mention they also had a 35 petabyte all-flash parallel file system going in. That's a HPE E1000 uh, Luster file system. And relevant to me because I moderated a panel back at Supercomputing in November that Glenn Lockwood was part of talking about storage tiers. And there's a wonderful slide accompanying the article on HPC Wire talking about reducing the number of storage tiers in, in order to reduce tiers that you're going to be crying. There have been a lot of trouble. There's been 
in a lot of trouble with different tiers of storage and uh, trying to condense that down to fewer tiers um, in order to increase storage performance has been part of the architecture there. I'd like to start moving forward, though, because we got another cool story this week in HPC. Oliver, you wrote this, and it has to do with researchers in Australia who are taking a look at trying to prize out COVID origins and where did it come from? Was a mutation of a bat virus, a pangolin virus? Did it come out of the wet markets in Wuhan? And in doing that modeling from a scientific standpoint, they might have accidentally given credence to this notion previously thought of by many, including possibly myself as a conspiracy theory, to to look at, wait a minute, was this actually a a lab leak from the Center for Virology in Wuhan? Yeah, I mean, cool is one word. Unexpected is definitely another one for me. You know, early in the pandemic, we saw this written off by um, many or most or all reputable scientists and organizations, including the WHO, who did an inspection back then and more or less said it was extremely unlikely. But if you've been following COVID news, you've probably seen some interesting headlines lately, uh, including the revelation that uh, intelligence showed that there were some researchers at the Wuhan Institute for Virology who became ill in early November 2019, and the redoubled focus from President Biden and the U.S. intelligence apparatus on determining the origins of the virus. And now we see HPC weighing in. So what happened here is we had some Australian researchers who, from very early in 2020, were interested in sussing out the origins of COVID-19, SARS-CoV-2. And what they did was they decided to look at the binding affinities between the COVID-19, the SARS-CoV-2 spike protein, and the ACE2 receptors across a wide range of different species to understand uh, what the most likely origins of the virus were. And they were doing this work so early in the pandemic that they actually had to build their own 3D model of the spike protein. They built their own ACE2 receptor models for a lot of the species they were working with. Uh, and to, to do that, they were working with some pretty heavy-duty tools as well. Yeah, the model that you're describing, Oliver, they were looking at the ACE inhibitors and the binding agents with the theory that if the virus was a mutation from some other animal, that that you would find what animal had the best binding and probably should be one that binds better than humans. So there's got to be some sort of intermediary where it jumps from, say, a bat or a pangolin or a snake over to humans and we'll, we'll find what other animals had the best binding to this virus and they they mapped them all out including uh you know monkeys and hamsters and tigers which have been known to be affected by covid-19 so we could map the effectivity versus ineffectivity of of the different ace binding factors for all of these animals and what really became interesting was to see humans kind of at the top of the list so they they had all of these tools tiffany you were looking at that as as part of the research yeah, so, so some of the tools they use, they use HDOC, which is a state-of-the-art protein protein docking package. Uh, they use that to perform the initial docking calculations. And then those were optimized on Gromax, which is, of course, a molecular dynamics package dating back to the early 90s, uh, very, very popular, and uh, notably one of, the, one of the very first HPC codes to, to leverage GPUs 
Um, and it's also been widely applied during the pandemic to study spike uh, protein interactions. But I, like I said, it's one of the first uh, codes to leverage GPUs. And, and indeed, they, um, they ran, the researchers ran their computations on Oracle Cloud GPU instances, uh, likely with uh, NVIDIA GPUs, since that's what those instances have. Um, and Oracle uh, kindly don had donated those, those resources to the, the project through uh, cloud credits. And there's a great chart in the article, Oliver, talking about the affinity and the infectivity by species. So wh what did they go find? Yeah, well, like you like you mentioned earlier, Addison, they found that humans had the highest binding affinity, which is really not what you'd be looking for if you were looking to disprove the lab leak hypothesis. And what I, what I really want to caution here, for anyone listening, is that there's a difference between a lab leak and what we refer to as gain of function work, which is, uh, you know, if you were to augment a virus to make it more infective, more deadly, uh, essentially bioweapons work. Now, to date, as far as I know, there's no evidence of gain of function work. What we'd be talking about here from a lab leak is something like they were studying the virus and it escaped from the lab by infecting somebody, not work to develop a more dangerous virus. But if you were looking to disprove a lab leak hypothesis, this is not the result you would want. Humans being the most infective and bats being fairly low down on the list is a pretty decent working piece of evidence that it could have emerged from a lab in Wuhan. Now, this isn't like a smoking gun that proves that it's a lab leak, but it's Absolutely just not. Th this is something that if it weren't a lab leak, you would have expected something different. Yes, absolutely. Now, there are there is still you know, number two by a pretty thin margin. It was the pangolin, and that remains a vector that could have passed the virus on to humans naturally. So it is still possible that we had an origin uh, that occurred naturally in Wuhan, but uh, based on their results, and I want to caution again that these are uh, preprint results. These have not been peer-reviewed and published as of yet, although um, the person giving the talk, David Winkler, uh, indicated that they are nearing publication in a major journal. Um, but the results they have so far uh, do not discount the lab leak hypothesis. Thank you for that, uh, that interesting article. I think that's going to spark a lot of fantastic discussion. It's certainly something we're going to want to keep our eyes on. This paper was presented as part of the virtual ICM seminars in computer and computational science, which is part of the Supercomputing Frontiers Europe 2021 conference, which is organized by ICM. That's the Interdisciplinary Center for Mathematical and Computational Modeling at the University of Warsaw. That full conference, Supercomputing Frontiers Europe 2021, will be going on virtually July 19th to 23rd. While we're still on the podcast, we don't have time to get into another big story, but another one that caught my eye, Tiffany, if you want to just give us a, a quick highlight, is that uh, Iran has joined us in the supercomputing club with the Simorg supercomputer. Yeah, so in May, Iran announced the launch of the Simorg supercomputer. It's named after a mythical Persian bird. And according to state media and a report by Al Jazeera, the, uh, the system is said to be 560 teraflops at launch with a plan to expand that in the, in the coming weeks to one petaflops. It was designed by Tehran's Amir Kabir University of Technology, AUT, at a cost of converting from the local currency. Uh, it was 4.5 million U.S. dollars. 
uh, with the hardware acquired from simply they they just they simply said external sources. Uh, no details were specified. Uh, uh, Iran is of course blocked from accessing U.S. technology, so you know they they may they may have gotten it through through uh, other other channels or, or trading partners. Um, I will, so we'll give a hat tip to uh, Data Center Dynamics, Sebastian Moss, who pointed out that the press photo looks uh, like a Schneider APC gear. Um, and then Iran says it's developing domestic supercomputing technology to advance the processing of, uh, they, they, this is a quote from them, from um, scientific, economic, political, and military data to, uh, to strengthen the nation's position in the age of um, AI and big data, uh, currently they they're currently they 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 they're saying that currently they have to uh, have been sending their workloads outside the country to be processed and sometimes have to wait months for the results. So here we are seeing their uh, Iran gaining um, HPC capability here with the system, which is something they they really haven't had before. They had um, some very small clusters back in the, the earlier mid uh, 2000s, but they really haven't had much of a, an HPC program. Yeah. And uh, as you say, this isn't something that's just going to be bought from, in particular, a U.S. vendor right now. It'll be interesting to get more information perhaps someday on the processors going in. Or for me as an analyst, what's the interconnect is, is really interesting. I think anything above 10 gigabit Ethernet might be unlikely at this point. Uh, and that'll be interesting, particularly if they're trying to expand to a petaflop going forward. But our listeners can and, get... And beyond, right? They're, yeah. Also, they're also starting to develop a follow-on to some more um, 100 times more powerful. Uh, so that would be somewhere between 50 and 100 petaflops, depending on your starting point. And that system is going to be named Miriam, M-A-R-Y-A-M, after Iranian scientist and mathematician Miriam Mirzakhani. Uh, she was the first woman and the first Iranian uh, to win the Fields Medal, which has often been described as the Nobel Prize in mathematics. And, and a final note, the, this mythical bird, uh, Samorg, that this system was announced is named after is, I thought it was just interesting. It's always uh, depicted as, as female and as benevolent. Well, that'll make us all feel good about it. So I appreciate that final note. Our listeners could get more details on all of these stories on HPC Wire. As always, Tiffany Oliver, thanks for joining me and thanks to you for tuning in. You've been listening to This Week in HPC, brought to you by Intersect 360 Research, actionable market intelligence for high-performance computing. For more information, visit intersect360.com.